1: listening to the Russellville podcast. I'm your host Vinny Berry and my guest today is legendary wrestler Ken Patera of over 20 years. Sir how are you? I'm doing fine and how are you doing Vinny? I'm doing really good and we're bringing you on because you have a new book out. Would you like to give me the title of your new book?
0: Yes it's uh can you see it?
1: I can't see it.
0: It's a beautiful book.
1: It it looks great. Kim Patera, Weight of the World. <laughs> You're pretty excited about that?
0: Yeah. Here, let me uh I got a bunch of stuff up here on the screen I gotta get rid of.
1: Your daughter said don't touch anything. Okay, I won't. <laughs> 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 so, Ken, talk to me a little bit about the book. Why now? Well, for the, about the
0: past 40 years, people have been ragging on me to write a book. They say, God, you've had such an interesting life and interesting uh, wrestling uh, career that it's got to be in print. I said, well, I don't know, you know, just... It never, I, I, for some reason, my own life to me, wasn't of interest, probably because I I had already lived it. And so then I saw all these other guys writing books. I says, well, shit, I might as well write a book. And so that's uh, how it all started, you know, about four years ago. And, uh, I uh, put it put a uh, pen to pencil or, or pen to pencil pencil to paper or pen to paper, however you say it. And uh, here we are. I had a kid from Albany uh, New York uh, write it uh, Kenny Cas- Casanova.
1: It's a long process, isn't it?
0: Well, I was. Under the impression that it'd take about a year, year and a half, and then uh, you know things just got uh, sidetracked, and then when we got it back on track, then it it went right through. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I I know the process very well. Yeah, when you were saying that you have a, a, you know, a lot of people were telling you that you have an interesting career. I would have to agree, you know, when you were wrestling, your physique was a lot different from a lot of the wrestlers at that time because you were a weightlifter. You did have a a sculpted body like a like a lifter. Right. But what I want to talk about right now is I shared a story with you Uh, when I first started getting in wrestling. uh, You were uh there's a little picture of you on like one of the first magazines I ever bought and my brother who's not a wrestling fan at all was asking me why Ken Patera was on the magazine I said well he's got to be a wrestler and he goes Ken Patera's not a wrestler he's a weightlifter so you know it was kind of neat that you know two kids in the same house knew you from different worlds so to speak Talk about your weightlifting career and your trip to the Olympics. Uh, Pretty, pretty fascinating, pretty, pretty exciting stuff for, for a young guy, right? Yeah.
0: I, uh, I got interested in weightlifting in 1952 and, or 1953, I'm sorry. And, uh, the way that happened, I was watching, uh, with some friends of mine, you know, we were all nine, 10, 11 years old at the time. And the 1952 Helsinki uh, Olympics came on, Helsinki, Finland. And uh, um, the, you know, they, they showed the track and field, the gymnasts, the swimming, the running. They, the only one, the only event that I was interested in was weightlifting. And uh, I, I it just caught my imagination. How could somebody go out there on the weightlifting platform, pick up such heavy weights? And I says, I'd like to do that. Now, you have to understand, I was 10. Yeah, I was 10 years old. So one thing led to another. And I, I asked my parents if they could get me a, a weightlifting set. And sure enough, a couple months later was Christmas time. I looked under the Christmas tree and there was 110 pound uh, weightlifting barbell and a couple little dumbbells. Uh, Just a perfect starter set for a 10 year old. And uh, then, so I started my weightlifting. I got the little charts out and everything. I was following it religiously. And uh, because at that time I wasn't participating in any sports or anything, and in grade school we didn't have any organized sports. And uh, I think about a year after that, uh, Pop Warner baseball became a thing. So I joined the baseball team. And then a couple years later, I was in high school. And uh, so I joined the football team and the wrestling team, the basketball team, so uh, track and field team. I, I, I couldn't get enough uh, sports. So I just kept going and going and going like that little uh, thing, the little engine that could. And I could. I just kept plugging away. And uh, I wound up winning four national championships. Uh, I won uh, the Pan American Games, four gold medals, uh, broke all the records. Yeah, I broke all the national records too. And uh, then uh, I went uh, to the Olympic Games. By this time, it's, 19, you know, what was it, 20 years later?
1: 1972.
0: Yeah, what was that like? Oh, I loved it. I uh, We got over there to Germany and, uh, you know, all the festivities and everything. And uh, next thing you know, September 5th rolls around. September 5th, 1972. That was the day I was supposed to compete. And when I say I was supposed to compete, uh, it was, there was a little interruption there. The Asser Arafat of the PLA, uh, Palestinian Liberation Army, they came over the back fence and started killing the Jews. Uh, The Jewish compound was right on the other side of that fence. And so the uh, powers that be, you know, the Olympic authority, they canceled the Olympics. They said, well, we can't have the Olympic games now, you know, with all this terrorism going on. And so and that was about nine ten, yeah, nine or 10 o'clock in the morning on September 5th, 1972. So Me and my buddies from the track and field team, because I was a shot putter, uh, besides being a weightlifter, we all got on the uh, subway there in Munich. We go downtown, find a couple bars. We were hungry. We ate. We drank. And then we drank some more. And then we drank a whole lot more. And now we're all a bunch of stumbling, bumbling fools in downtown Munich, Germany. And uh, so eventually we got back on the subway. I don't know, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, we get back to the Olympic Village. So there, this guy by the name of Rudy Sablo, he's a team manager. He comes in my room at like eight or nine in the morning and you have to understand I didn't go to bed till like four or five. Uh, because I was drunk and having a good time and you know, no competition, everything's been canceled.
1: Right. Yeah, right. it's done. It's party time.
0: Yeah. So anyway, Rudy gets me up, says, Cam, we got to go way in. I said, what do you mean you have to we have to go way in? Yeah, the, the Olympics are back on. They uh, reinstated it, and I said, "Jesus, when did this happen?" He said, "Just a couple hours ago." And I says, "Holy shit!" So uh, we get on a bus to go way in. Well, the way in station was like two and a half, three-hour bus ride through ridiculous heavy traffic in uh, downtown Munich. We finally get to the uh, weightlifting hall. We get weighed in, and my head's just pounding. Boom, boom, boom! Hell, we we drank Jägermeister. We drank uh, Ruppelmans. uh We drank Goldschlager. Those are all, you know, uh, liqueurs uh, or shots. And you now I don't know how many beers we drank. About twenty beers. So uh, I mean, we were having a party. <laughs> so we get over to the training hall, we get weighed in. And now what do we do? Competition doesn't start till eight o'clock that night. So we, we just hung out the, the training hall, uh, nothing to do. And uh, no place to take a nap, no place to do shit. And uh, so anyway, uh, we start, you know, getting our bearings about us. They say, okay, competition starts at eight o'clock, At six o'clock. Now we got to get warmed up. Oh, warmed up? You know, we're all exhausted, you know, on the American team because we've been out partying. So. Anyway, we start the competition, um, and I had a, uh, I had hurt my left knee two years prior to that. And being a good old amateur athlete in the United States of America, we had no medical coverage, uh, nothing. So I, I didn't get my knee uh, operated on until about nine, ten months prior to the Olympics because I can't walk anymore on it. And so I flew down to Oklahoma City, had the operation, flew back. And uh, so now it's, I've, I've got this nine, 10 month rebuilding process and healing, you know, trying to get the knee uh, back in uh, condition. So I get to the Olympics. And we're warming up, I twist the damn knee, boom, thing blows up like a football, I can't hit a bottom position uh, during my lifting, and I wind up bombing out. Bombing out means that you missed uh, uh, your lifts. I did all right in the military press, I won a, a bronze medal in the uh, military press, and then there came the snatch, and uh, I missed all my snatches because I couldn't hit a bottom position, and my knee was killing me. It was all swollen up, and uh, and that. so I said, well, I won four gold medals the year before in the Pan American Games down in Cali, Columbia, so that'll be my uh, Waterloo, I guess. All right. <laughs> Um, that was the end of my, uh, weightlifting
1: career. Well, you know, uh, with the achievements that you did, I mean, of course you, you, you wanted to walk away with a medal in the Olympics from, you know, and probably gold, I would assume. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, But, but you know, there's a lot of people who get into that sport that don't do what you did. Not even the Pan American games.
0: I was the first guy in the world the entire world lift 500 pounds over my head. And uh, because I did it in a small uh, uh, meet up in Everett, Washington, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. So I drive up to Everett, Washington with my uh, wife at that time. I entered this meet and uh, I lifted 503 pounds. That was the first time anybody had lifted over 500 pounds overhead. Wow. Uh, 1969. And then, you know, I continued, you know, and I was uh, set records all over the place. Next thing I know, I injured my knee severely. And so when I get over to Munich, like I say, like a week after I'm there, uh the uh uh terrorists come over the back gate. And did it leave a black cloud over the games? Oh hell yeah. Everybody was scared. You know, uh everybody thought they were going to get shot or have a bomb dropped on them. And uh the whole place was in chaos. Now you know yeah five, six thousand athletes running around in a village uh is what it was. It was uh Uh, a brand-new condo uh, uh, compound. There's, you know, thousands of these brand-new condos right there in uh, uh, Munich, Germany. So, you know, we're right and there's police lines all over the place. You can't go here, you can't go there. You have to stay, you know, within the, the parameters of what the police wanted you to do. And so it was, uh it went from a free uh and happy place to a locked down, miserable, you know, shithole, you know.
1: Oh, and, I bet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no, nobody wanted to be there anymore. Right. Right. And hell, we still had a week left in the Olympic Games.
1: Right. Um, yeah. You're halfway but, through. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I was uh, too young to, you know, I was born in 69. So I probably wasn't even three yet. Right. So yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, um, very, very young didn't didn't know anything about that until years, years later, when when I read it, and I was, uh, you know, reading about that was, uh, to me, you know, uh, probably 20 years, 15, 20 years after it happened, um, was was pretty much a shock to me that something like that would happen, right? But fast forward, I mean, that can, I mean, I hate to say it, but stuff like that happens several times a week, if not once a day now, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's entirely different world now. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, especially in our big cities like you know, pick a city. You right. know, there's some kind of a mass shooting every every week, if not every day, you know, and, like the 4th of July weekend that just ended. Yeah, well, I don't know. We had a to... mass shooting every day somewhere.
1: Right. And it doesn't even have to be a big city anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, well, when I got back from uh, Germany after competing over there, I started my wrestling career with uh, uh, Vern Gagne. At that time, he was uh, AWA heavyweight champion out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, Rick Flair and I had a uh, an apartment together, and we were lifting weights and everything. And I had gotten Rick okayed to uh, go into the training camp with me and. Greg Ganya Jimmy Brunzel, a kid by the name of Bob Bruggers. And last but not least, the Iron Sheik, Khosrow Vasuri, right out of uh, Iran.
1: <laughs> yeah, what a, what a crop of guys, right?
0: Yeah, we had, without a doubt, the best training camp in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah, because we were all we we're all uh, amateur athletes that had accomplished something uh, of notoriety. So we weren't just a bunch of bumpkins uh, bumping around. Uh, and so uh, yeah, and you know, the training camp after that uh, produced uh, guys like uh, Ricky Steamboat, uh, Sergeant Slaughter um another kid that uh, didn't last too long uh chris taylor chris taylor was like six five, four hundred 400 pounds and uh he was on the greco-roman wrestling team in munich uh with me and uh, really a nice guy but he, he got some kind of a blood disease and passed away four or five years later and i hated to see that because Chris and I had become uh, close friends and whatnot. So,
1: yeah. What was it like when you uh, went up to the WWF and was wrestling there? Um, it's got to be a pretty exciting time. I think I think those were the first matches that I started seeing of you.
0: Yeah, right. That was in 19... Uh, 19- that was in 1977, in January of 1977. And I had talked to Bruno Sarmatino and Vince McMahon uh, about coming to New York. And uh, at that time, I think I was wrestling in, uh, oh, gee, I can't remember, where in the hell was I? Oh, down in uh, Charlotte, down in the Mid-Atlantic area. Uh, north and south carolina the virginias and whatnot and so they brought me into new york uh, put me on tv got over like a million bucks everybody wanted to see ken patera and so i formed this big rivalry contact with the great bruno sermentino because he was known as a big strong guy you know and uh so we we had a a feud that lasted about eight, nine, ten months, something like that. We sold out everywhere. I must have wrestled Bruno 30 or 40 times. Wow. Well, we sold out everywhere, Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, uh, uh Pittsburgh, uh, Philadelphia, Washington, Boston uh Baltimore, Boston Garden. We sold out everywhere and uh, we uh, wrestled each other three or four times in every location. And that's how, you know, add them up. It's about 40 times.
1: Yeah. Yeah, He, he had one heck of a following, right? I mean, people just loved Bruno.
0: Oh yeah. He was like a God back there. I mean, the garden was sold out every didn't matter who he wrestled, you know, it was sold out for like six, seven, eight years, something like that every every fourth Monday, the first Monday of every month is generally how they uh, ran the garden. and uh, yeah, Bruno was uh, making tons of money. And then when I started wrestling with Bruno, Ken Patera was making tons
1: of money, <laughs> yeah, yeah and and the money that you guys were making back then was really astronomical for the time. Right. And nothing like what they're making today. I'm on, on the smaller stage. Right. But on the bigger stage, I'm sure there's guys making good contracts. But when, if you go to the indie level and you tell these guys on the independent scene today, what you were making back then, it's mind blowing, right? Oh yeah. Uh,
0: I was making uh You know, close to 200,000, you know, 170,000, 180,000. I think one year I did make over 200,000. But you have to understand, we didn't have pay per view uh, back in those days. We didn't have all the uh, money coming in from uh, merchandising, you know, like t shirts and dolls and stuff like that, uh, and personal appearances and whatnot. We we didn't have any of that revenue, so we our revenue was strictly on how many people you brought into the building that night. And uh, and you know the the buildings were the same as they are now, sold out. Right. But the thing is, ticket prices for ringside tickets back in Madison Square Garden back in my day was like six or seven dollars was a ringside ticket price now it's like four or five hundred a thousand dollars you know that that's how
1: yeah but but i know that but but that's what blows my mind if you're paying six dollars maybe even six to eight bucks back then for a a ringside seat if that right and you guys were making the money that you were making it was just like a lot of people were coming to those shows. That's right. It was
0: everything was sold out.
1: Yeah, we go to, to
0: spot. We go to little towns, you know, that probably had four, or five thousand people in them. Almost everybody in that town was in the building if it was big enough to get them in. Right. You know, but uh, it, it was uh it was uh, uh, a golden era of pro wrestling. Right. I'd like to say back in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, and uh, the, I, I was there. I was in the WWF. It's called the WWE now because, right. for obvious reasons. Uh, Vince McMahon, he just ran the business uh, the way he wanted to run it. He wanted to be like Hollywood. Uh, and that's what it is now. I mean, it's uh, don't get me wrong. That the athletes, uh, you know, the wrestlers are still great athletes. Uh, uh, I don't know if Hulk Hogan was ever a great athlete, uh, but he, he did a good job because I uh, I wound up wrestling Hulk Hogan. Oh, probably three four hundred times, you know, over like a seven year period between the. I I don't think I, I didn't wrestle him in the WWF so much, you know, probably 30, 40 times. But then I wrestled in the AWA here in the uh, Midwest uh, uh, out of Minnesota. We wrestled, you know, San Francisco, Denver, Chicago, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Wisconsin, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, wrestling all over the place, so I, I probably wound up wrestling Hulk Hogan 300 times. Wow, yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, people always ask me this. I'm sure you might ask me that. Who is your favorite wrestler to wrestle with? I said, Well, it's got to be Andre the Giant. They say, Andre the Giant. I said, Yeah, I, I said. I wrestled Andre more than I wrestled anybody else, over 600 times. Wow. And they said, wow. I said, well, it makes sense. I was the world's strongest man. He was a giant. You know, we were both, you know, big draws, you know.
1: Right. Yeah, you, you both had some credibility, right, The we, well, wager.
0: Yeah, that's what it was. And mm-hmm. And when we got in the ring together, we had super matches, Uh, 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 Now, uh, let let me uh, uh, classify this. When I wrestled Andre, I wrestled him in tag team matches, uh, six-man tags, eight-man tags, uh, battle royal. Hell, I wrestled him 150 times in battle royals. And, uh, you know, wherever there's a battle royal happening, it's usually Andre and Ken Patera. Uh, wrestling one another by the, you know, after everybody else gets thrown out of the ring, it was us two uh, in, in the middle of the ring. And we, you know, we'd wrestle four or five minutes to see who was going to take home that prize money, you
1: know, 5,000, 10,000, whatever it was. Yeah. So Ken, go ahead and tell me about your book and tell me what you think the fans are going to get away from from reading it? What are they going to take from it?
0: Well, they're going to get an interesting uh, a picture into my early life. Yeah, uh, you know, when I was just a little kid, you know, because a lot of people say, well, how does a, a, a great athlete get started? Well, we all get started by starting little. <laughs> right. Yeah, from when I was four or five years old, uh, I grew up in a family of, uh uh, four All-Americans, uh, my brother, Jack, my brother, Norm, Dennis, and myself. And uh, we are all great athletes, and uh, uh, they were football players. I was uh, track and field and weightlifting and wrestling. And so I, I, I preferred the individual sports. They, they enjoyed the team sports. But uh, yeah, and then it just goes right through. It's a nice flow to it, you know uh what I did in my uh uh, uh middle years, and uh, you know i went went to Brigham Young University, a great uh, Mormon school out in uh Provo, Utah. I graduated from there and uh, back in the mid sixties and uh then, uh, you know, talks about my wrestling, uh, how I got started, you know, more in depth, you know. Right. And then uh, how uh, my uh, life transcended. Then when I retired from wrestling in uh, uh, the early uh, 90s, well, I, I, I retired from the WW, uh, WWF. I uh, retired from them at the end of 88, and uh, I just didn't care for the business anymore. I was really kind of fed up with it, and I had spent 16 years. Well, when I retired from the WWF, I did a lot of independent stuff, all, literally all over the world, and I finally wrapped it up, I think, in 93 down in Singapore, and then I came back to, uh, oh, I went from Singapore to uh, Moscow, Russia. Wow. Yeah, yeah, those were two of my last uh, wrestling uh, uh, events. But I, yeah, I, I met a lot of people, I, I had an interesting career
1: yeah and i and I think fans are are gonna see that in there and and uh maybe a little bit about what we talked about, but also too, a lot of other things that they're just gonna have to get the book and find out, right? yeah, that's it. Buy the book. <laughs> and where can you buy the book Ken Wait of the world. Ken patera Wait of the world. where can you get it?
0: Uh, Kenpatera.com dot com is uh the best way because this way. Uh, my daughter handles all my shipping and all my appointments and stuff. And that that way, just go to my website, KentPatera.com, or you can go to uh, Amazon. Uh, uh, Amazon, you, you're not going to get treated like you're going to get treated by Kent Patera, I'll tell you that. This way I can
1: autograph it and everything absolutely all right ken well thank you for coming on the show i really do appreciate it
0: well it turned out
1: all right it turned out great (laughs) okay you're listening to the russellville podcast where wrestling lives Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, The, the Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, The Man Who Trained, Carl Anderson, Anderson the, the Monster Abyss, Abyss, Jordan, Abyss Clearwater, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harris, and Jillian, Jillian Hall.
0: Plus 45 other short stories including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Kerry Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others.
1: Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville, it's where wrestling lives.